On this episode of Checking In, Maria and I discuss what we've been doing these past couple weeks. We're joined by a special guest, Danis, and she's going to talk about the local author's fair that's happening later this month. Stay tuned for another exciting episode of Checking In. As always, you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast hosting site. Well, I read Fresh Complaint Stories by Jeffrey Eugenides. He is the author of The Virgin Suicides, and I think most people know that Jeffrey Eugenides is from Gross Point. Mm-hmm. And this is a collection of his short stories. Um, the Virgin Suicides is his most famous book. It was his first novel, I believe, mm-hmm. and set in Gross Point. Um, but I never really cared for any other novels of his besides The Virgin Suicides, but I do love short stories. You didn't like Middlesex? No, I couldn't get into it. And The Marriage Plot, I couldn't get into that either. Mm-hmm. But I love short stories, I always have. And this is a collection of previously published short stories by him that were published in magazines, writing mm-hmm. magazines. And so I picked it for my May book club selection at Ewald. So we'll see. What mm-hmm. people think uh, not too many people are fans of short stories unfortunately they've fallen out of favor mm-hmm. but I've always loved them yeah I'm not a, I've never really read too many short stories no I'm not like against them I just think that probably I think a collection would be better but I feel like short stories would be perfect for someone who doesn't re- get to read a lot because I could just read a short story in like an hour or two and be like oh that was cool and yeah. then just like read another one but Never really think to read a short story. Right. Maybe because I don't really know what's good. Well, I got into them in college. Um, If you took any English, actually rhetoric, remember? I don't know if they called it rhetoric when you were in college. That's what they called it when I was in college. I don't think we had that. Rhetoric 101. (laughs) And you had to buy the Norton Anthology, which would have a combination of short stories and poetry and the professors would assign certain stories they wanted you to read. And so I started reading F. Scott Fitzgerald in mm-hmm. college and fell in love with his short stories and the short story format. So that's what really started it all. But there's so many good short story authors out there. Because when mm-hmm. you think about it, it's really hard to write a short story. In, yeah. You know, it's a small format. And I think they're more challenging than novels. Although a lot of people, I don't know what they people have against short stories. I don't think people have anything against short stories. I think they just, they don't think of them when they're thinking about something to read. They just want to maybe read a long form thing. Or maybe because short story collections aren't, they're not easy to find. I buy them for the library. Yeah. But. Sometimes like the, sometimes they're in like the nonfiction section and sometimes they're in the fiction section. I think people get confused as to where they should be. Maybe. And stuff. And I think. You know, people people are just strange. They like the, their things that they like, and I think anything that's sort of not what they're used to, they're sort of afraid of. Yeah, I, Maybe, think, I think that's it. You know, I think just, that's it. They just don't want to get invested in a short story and be like, oh, I wasted like a half hour. <laughs> but then like they'll read a book and they'll be like, well, I wasted like four hours. Right, exactly. But it seems like it's more of like, like a chance for a book to be better, whereas a short story, like, 
They're like, I'll just read a little bit more. Maybe it'll get better. Maybe it'll get better. Oh, it's done. I did not like that. Um, <laughs> that's why a collection's good. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that's probably maybe what turns people off is like, usually mm. people will give like a book a, a chance, like they'll read maybe like 50, 75 pages because that's probably when it's going to start getting interesting. All the pieces are going to get into place, but a short story probably ends right around there, even before. And they're like, oh, that was it. I think maybe the pace of short stories is probably too quick for them to really get a feel for what the hmm. author's trying to do. I maybe. don't know. I just, I'm I think, just saying stuff now. I think it's more to ponder. They're more to savor. Ray Bradbury, I think, gave a speech once to, I mean, he gave many speeches, but I think it was at a college, and he said the most popular question he received was people asking, I want to be a writer. What do I do? And he challenged them all to write a short story, one per week. Mm-hmm. And he said, at the end of a year, you'll have 52 short stories. Some will be good, some won't be, but you'll have practiced mm-hmm. the art of writing. And yeah. I think that's a great way to describe short stories because they're a challenge to write, and I think it's a great practice. But for those of you who do like short stories, I can recommend some wonderful authors. Uh, Dorothy Parker is one. F. Scott Fitzgerald is another. Hemingway, in, in fact, it's interesting, in Ernest Hemingway, I only mm-hmm. like his short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, the Nick the Adams stories, the, which are all set in northern Michigan because mm-hmm. he spent all his summers in northern Michigan. And F. Scott Fitzgerald's short stories, I actually prefer to his novels, too. And mm-hmm. what's funny about F. Scott Fitzgerald is he wrote the short stories just to make a living, mm-hmm. to have time and money to write the novels. And I think those short stories, which he considered throwaway, you know, they weren't, they were just the bread and butter. And mm-hmm. he really wanted to be known for his novels. Is that actually what he said? Yes. Like, did actually come out and I said think that? so. I think so. And I forget the name of the scholar who has studied him and actually beca- I don't know if he became his friend but he said that the vignettes the short stories that F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote you know depict the generation which was the 1920s mm-hmm. so well I mean you could pick one up they're just gems and yet he threw them away and even his mm-hmm. wife Zelda wrote short stories which are actually pretty good mm-hmm. but his novels you know The Great Gatsby, Tenders the Night you know and they he was not considered popular in his day but mm-hmm. everyone loved his short stories they appeared in the Saturday Evening Post mm-hmm. but he was like oh they like those short stories I want to mm-hmm. I want to be remembered for my novels and he yeah. wasn't um, but as far as modern short stories um, Alice Monroe is a huge one um, Jhumpa Lahiri, she's an mm-hmm. Indian-American author, I believe. She's got some wonderful collections of short stories. And I think Curtis Sittenfeld, that's another one who's written contemporary. She's mm-hmm. written novels, but she has a new um, collection of short stories, too, called You Think It, I'll Say It. Mm-hmm. And that was really good, too. So when Jeffrey Eugenides wrote this collection, I just snapped it right up. But I try to incorporate... At least I have in the last few years a short story collection in my book group because, for that very reason, people mm-hmm. don't read them. So, yeah. so that's one book I read. Another book I read that I absolutely loved was Daisy Jones and the Six. It's a brand new book by Taylor Jenkins Reid, and she wrote a couple of other novels before this one, but I have never heard of her, never read her, but I buy the fiction for the library, so mm-hmm. this one caught my eye. Yeah. This is about a band in the 1970s, and Daisy Jones is a singer who joins the band. And the entire book is told in oral interviews with Mm -hmm. each band member in retrospective. So I think it takes place in, like, 
2013, 2012. And so someone all... actually interviewing yes. them? And it just, uh, mm -hmm. okay. it's not like the bandmates just talking amongst themselves. Like it's actually somebody from maybe like a Rolling Stone magazine is just wants to it's talk to them or like, something? It's like a Rolling Stone interview, but I'm not going to give too much away in the plot. Okay. And the interviewer is a surprise in the book because okay. it does sound like a Rolling Stone interview. Mm -hmm. It's hard to tell if, for me, if the group is together when they're giving these interviews or if they're being interviewed separately. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of thinking separately, maybe maybe one or two in the room together. But mm -hmm. Daisy Jones is a solo singer-songwriter in the late 60s, early 70s, mm -hmm. and she joins the band called The Six. Mm -hmm. So it's it was a really neat book. I couldn't put it down. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I didn't like it, I wouldn't have bothered to yeah. even go past the first chapter or section. Mm -hmm. That's how I am with books. But... But the whole book is like that? Just the entire, book the entire book is interviews. So it's got like their person's name, yep. what they said, and it just keeps going. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And it is really interesting. I don't think I've read a book like that. I ever. haven't either. In fact, at first I was like, oh, this is strange. And I leafed through the book and I saw it was all interviews. I'm like, wow, this mm -hmm. is pretty cool. So I started reading, and I don't know if you read Rolling Stone. I, I used to read uh, Rolling I used Stone. To read. I haven't read it recently, but you know, I've read it here and there. Yeah. And. They talk about the songs that the band writes in the book, too, which mm -hmm. is interesting. And at the end of the book, they give all the lyrics to all the songs. And I mm -hmm. thought, all that's missing is a CD with the music because I been, can almost hear it. That would have been a really good, like, marketing strategy to, like, include a, like, a link or something to, like, a, a website yeah. that has the actual songs. I was almost disappointed that it by, didn't. Even, like, covered by famous people just doing something like that. That would have been a clever, yeah. clever gimmick that would have made the book probably... I don't know. Maybe take it from a B to an A. Right. That's how you felt about it. Yeah. But. No, this was this was an A. I mean, I really, really liked it. And I don't read a lot of fiction. As you know, I read a lot mm -hmm. of nonfiction, although this time I've just read fiction. But I was surprised how many holds are on this book. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I just read a really good review of it. So I don't know if it's gotten buzz on... TV uh, or anything? Um, it probably has. You watch TV. I don't know if you've heard of it. Well, I don't it. watch TV like that way. Like, like no. the Today Show or anything no, like that? Is that, that even on anymore? I'm sorry. It, I the, don't the, even watch TV. The Today Show is on, and it is different than, <laughs> than it used to be. Um, but all those shows still exist, but I don't know. I just For me, it's, all, all that stuff seems like a dying format, like the Today Show, like the Tonight Show. Like all those are just like messages from an era that's I feel like has gone and left oh, like you sad. know my generation like i don't know if anyone of my friends really has like tv tv anymore yeah like, like channels have, like, 247 like, and 50 internet, and <laughs> right. then we watch all our content through like netflix or hulu mm -hmm. or you know various other means like we don't see ads we don't watch like the news right news, like on tv we get everything via online mm -hmm. so i don't know how effective that whole stuff is anymore okay when like these famous people go on these network shows and mm -hmm. talk about their movie, show a clip, and everyone's like, yay, and then like, they get a next guest, and the next guest does the yeah. same thing. It just, the right. format just seems so weird. I guess at the time, Foreign it was to you. revolutionary, because <laughs> there really was no other way to like see this stuff, Yeah. because like there was no internet, or internet right. wasn't as advanced as it is now, but if I wanted to watch a movie clip, I could just go to YouTube. That's true. If I wanted true. to like, see an interview, I could watch any interview I want, yeah. and stuff, so I feel like being sort of like a slave to a time slot, like it's just not for me. Yeah, 
Well, I'm, I'm curious to know what kind of buzz this book is getting because I think when I had it checked out, there were nine people on hold oh. for it. So I don't know if it's word of mouth. I don't know if this author is more famous than I thought she was. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I'd never read her before, and um, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a great book. Yeah. So why don't we switch to you, and I can come back okay. to me. Did you well, read any books uh, this time? No, as many. I'm still reading The Test, the book I mentioned last time. Oh, right. About standardized testing. Is it still good? You're still reading it. It's still good. Yeah, it's still good. Um, sort of gotten to like it was separated into like different chunks. Like the first part of the book was like the problem with standardized tests. And now I'm on the solution part of it. Like what? How do we make better tests? How do we hold people more accountable? Like what's the best way to assess these kids? Mm-hmm. And like there's a whole bunch of different schools that say like you need better tests. And then there's other people that say you don't need tests at all. And then there's sort of like people in between that say. We just need to be testing, but not as frequently as we're doing now. Mm-hmm. It's apparently like, and they there's like the author always talks about this one person in the UK. They only take one test, and that's when they're done with high school, and that's basically the test that determines whether they go to college or not. Like if they do sure. well on the test, that's yeah. like their ACT or SAT or something. It's like that in Germany too, I believe. But they're just like yeah, it doesn't make sense to test all these kids all the time because if they're getting a good education, like we give them a test at the end, they should be able to do well on it so like it's like this whole stuff that the u.s is doing is just so foreign to so many it is. people it is um because even though obviously it was all started with good intentions it just doesn't never really works the way that people anticipate like the t- tests get used for nefarious purposes and just there's a whole bunch of scandal involved there's cheating mm-hmm. and there's, it just like it just opens the door for so many more problems than that that were initially even there that's why a whole lot of, like the whole opt out thing. Apparently, like more and more kids and parents are opting out of the tests, which creates. Oh, I problems. didn't know they could do that. <laughs> apparently, you can, but apparently that creates problems because then the school doesn't maybe potentially get like the level sure. it needs, or like the teacher doesn't have like a accountability score, and then the students then they don't have a plan for the students. They didn't take mm-hmm. the test. They don't know mm-hmm. where the where the students at. So it all creates these all sort of problems. Um, but I think. You know, parents that are, especially in affluent school districts, like they don't want to succumb their kids to that sort of testing because they're like, we don't need this because we have a good school. Like we, they can learn sure, I see what whatever they want. And then, yeah. but like they're all, since it's a federal policy, like the schools mm-hmm. like sort of have to do it. And there was like this one administrator that was like, I'm in a really bad situation because like I have to comply with the state level like I have to comply because it's law mm-hmm. but like I don't agree with it because the parents are right. Did they talk in that book about test anxiety like some students having um, test anxiety did. because it's when you think about it it's kind of like the Olympics you know you can practice and practice and practice you can study and study and study but when it comes right down to it if you can't perform mm-hmm. and test anxiety is real it affects people and how yeah. they take tests and they may know the material but when they take the test oh, they freeze. Yeah, they did. There was this one uh, woman whose kid got, always got, like, a stomach ache, mm-hmm. like, prior to a test. So, like, she sort of put the dots together that it was, like, a test day the day before, like, when he started feeling bad. Um, but they said that's, like, a real problem, like, the test anxiety. And that, you know, if you're not really good at taking standardized tests, it doesn't mean that you're a bad student. It just means that you're just not good at taking that specific I test. I can see that. But that basically the only barometer that they have. So if you don't do well on that test, then it's like oh well like nothing else matters it's like you could have a, a really good gpa and do poorly on the sat and it's like colleges yeah. are like 
okay, maybe you're not ready. I had test anxiety, and a lot of those tests, I, I believe, still are multiple choice or fill in the blank. They're mm-hmm. not like essay tests where you can yeah. explain your answers. And I mean, I don't know. I don't have children, well, so I can't still, say what I they're like. They're still there, but there's a lot of colleges that are not doing that anymore. Like certain, there's like a big list that she says that some colleges are going away with the test. Like you they're doing away with the SAT and ACT. You mean? Like accepting it. Like you don't have to take the test oh, to get into that college. Nice. Um, okay. But there was this other interesting part where I read this one guy from I forgot what school it was. I think it was uh, Tufts. He mm-hmm. was like the administrator. He's one of the administrators at Tufts University, and he got rid of. He threw away. He was. He wanted to get like a better measurement of student like aptitude and stuff so instead of accepting ACT and SAT scores he developed like this test about like critical thinking problem solving and just different ways of students like applying to the school and he was able to like get people accepted at a rate which makes sense like you would expect maybe like 10% of African Americans to get into college based on whatever but when like the SAT is like lower Mm -hmm. like across socioeconomic race everything like he basically got everything perfect based on Hmm. what he did like just the sort of questions they asked the sort of like how they got these students to think differently and not take multiple choice tests they just like you know do something that you know like sort of like a little bit of creativity problem solving critical critical Mm -hmm. thinking and then he did that again at another school that was like they had different you know demographics and he got the exact same results at that other school okay so i think you know there's definitely the norm there's definitely people that are trying to figure it out but I think you have to have those people that are willing to do the work to do it mm-hmm. and I think the whole thing with the whole testing stuff is like a big business now so, yes yeah like <clears throat> everything else <laughs> so there's a problem with you know it's almost feels like it's pay to play like you gotta you gotta pay like Kaplan for review then you gotta pay him again to take the SAT right. or ACT and it's a yeah. whole you know just a whole problem mm-hmm. and the tester test t- taking companies can benefit because they could sell the material they could do all this stuff there's only like five companies that do it so okay. it's almost you know it's pretty small you know there's really nowhere else to go so are you encouraged by what she's saying as um, far as solutions or is yet. it kind of a gloom and doom kind well, of thing in the book i don't know it doesn't seem gloom and doom it just seems like it's just unnecessary like obviously i think for the most part most kids will get to where they want to go but I think you know certain kids that are on the fringes you yeah know, that's the big they difference can get between, forgotten. especially kids that are on the lower side they mm-hmm. don't do well like like they'll put them in a position that they're that's not very good right. and the people that are on the other end that are pretty high achievers but like have like anxiety and all those sort of mm-hmm. stuff like if they don't perform well you know might send them down a further spiral right so I think for the majority of kids it's probably okay but I think, you know, you know, the people on the fringes and people with, you know, you know, mental health problems, which it seems like it's almost everyone now, <laughs> um, probably because of all this, it just seems, yeah, it's, it's just, anxiety uh, producing. seems like just a whole unnecessary stress for something that really doesn't matter. Okay. Like, I don't know, I guess, you know, maybe because I feel like if you go to high school, you do well in high school, that should be the, the barometer. It's like, oh, you got a 4.0 in high school. You can go wherever you want if mm-hmm. we're willing, but you got to take a test too. Right. It's like, oh well, you didn't get a sixteen hundred on the SAT. You can't go to Stanford. Right. Um, but thanks for trying. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah. Well, is that the only one you're reading? Uh, I got another one from Mel that I haven't started yet. It's called like Twitter and Tear Gas. 
sort of about Twitter and tear gas. sort of about like mm. how revolutionary movements start, you know, with technology and sort of spread from there. I think it's based on the Arab Spring and how like all the people in the Middle East were able to get together via Twitter to like coordinate and do everything to hmm. topple regimes hmm. and stuff. That sounds so scary. So it sounds pretty interesting. <laughs> I think it's probably what it is. I think it's, uh, it's one of those things, you know, it starts out like, oh, this is really cool, but then like obviously it takes a turn probably. Yeah. Um, but I haven't started it yet, but. Is that um, a new book? Or it's I think it came out last year new, right? or, or okay. something, but it's been on my radar for a while, so I just wanted to get it. It's always like stuff like that, like how technology sort of interferes with processes, which it hasn't really been affected by. To me, it seems, I mean, Twitter and social media, even though it does good things, it's just, it's just so impersonal. And it's just so easy to hide behind a fake image or just an image and not see people face to face. And, you know, people yeah. say horrible things and that they would never say, well, maybe they would face to face. And I don't know if any of those books that you've read on social media address that. I mean, I know that your generation has grown up with yeah, that and think, uses it, but yeah. I've been exposed to it, dabbled in it, and said for myself, eh, I don't like this, yeah. so I'm going to back think away. it's tough to say because, you know, social media is just a tool. I mean, if you follow the right people, like, you might never see stuff like that. What do you mean by the right people? Like, people that aren't negative. Like if you Positive just, thinkers? Yeah, or like sometimes like comedians, you can follow comedians on Twitter, they'll like have like a small joke or something, or just some of your friends that well, whatever. Well, some comedians but, can get you in trouble. Look at well, Roseanne Barr. Well, yeah, they can get in trouble. <laughs> they can get you in trouble, but, you know, for the most part, if like whoever you want to follow, you could follow. If you don't like them, you could stop following them and all that stuff. I think it just, you know, the loudest noises but always you have get the most attention. So we always, you know, you see people that are just, on Twitter or whatever, they make, you know, outlandish statements, probably because that's their job. Like, that's how... Sometimes. Uh, that's sort of how it works. Like, you get retweeted and mentioned, and then you're trending, and then that's sort of the algorithm of how it works is, like, you say sort of ridiculous stuff, and then you're able to dominate the news cycle for a day. So, like, there's no real nuance in terms of Twitter. Like, obviously, I don't really think you'd have, like, a real policy sort of debate or anything through Twitter. But it's sort of how everything goes these days. Everything happens on social media. That's where everybody seems to be at. It just seems like people can just start something just to start something, just to have their shining moment, whether it's good or bad. You know, I mean, I'm just thinking of the moment, Roseanne Barr, you know, the the statements that she has made. And yes, people can stop following people Mm -hmm. like that. But then again, you have to have the common sense the critical thinking skills to determine yourself that this person isn't someone mm-hmm. I want to follow and yeah, not be part of the herd. And it's, I don't know. It's, it's like a problem. It's, it's like a multifaceted problem mm-hmm. because, you know, these new media companies, basically like Twitter, Facebook, like they're almost becoming more media companies and social networking sites. Like, you know, this, someone will make something on Twitter and then it'll get trending. And then like the traditional news cycles will will talk about it. So people that necessarily right. aren't even on social media will find out about it through, you know, the ways that they sure. watch the news, like right. whatever channel they want to watch. So it's just sort of become like a problem. Mm-hmm. Like it just sort of like feeding, like the beast just keeps feeding on itself. Right. Just like a perpetual cycle of negativity. And, yeah, and just, exactly. You know, that's media, how I feel about media it. coverage. Right. But I think that's less of a problem with individual actors and a larger problem with 
media and capitalism in general. Like it's just sort of like all this stuff, like, you know, they churn the cycle because they got to get ad revenue to keep going. And then they have to just do all this, they have to do all that stuff just to keep themselves alive. So they just sort of have to follow this stuff, even if it's not necessarily news. It's like they're, you know, beholden to the advertiser's money. It just, I don't know, it's, it's confusing and it's chaotic to me, the whole thing. I mean, I see what you're saying about the media, you know, but to an extent too, that how do people get the news, you know, and news they can trust and news that is real and um, yeah, it's, that's, it's you scary. Know, it's a, it, I hate to keep using that word scary, well, but it's sometimes, you know, I mean, I, I follow the news and I try to, I mean, I'm actually trying to read the print newspaper sometimes because I'm tired of looking at the computer screen, but still every page you read, like in social media, it seems almost mm-hmm. it's negative. It's scary. It's yeah, I, I, it's just tough to frightening. say because, you know, there's the world has never been safer but you wouldn't expect that if you read the news or followed the stuff online. That's how it would be. Like, we're probably living in the greatest time in human history. Really? But wow. if you were to like, <laughs> I don't read think the so, news but okay. and stuff. <laughs> Maybe I'm just more aware. <laughs> just whatever. Um, in terms of just, you know, safety, life expectancy, you know, none of us are really, most of the humanity is not, like, getting chased down by tigers anymore. No. And, you know, we're not dying of preventable diseases. And, you know, even though you know, shootings are down across the board. It's just, you know, they're covered more. Like, whenever it happens, it sort of dominates a news cycle. Yeah, there's a lot of anger just, out like, there. There's a lot of anxiety, you know, frustration, mm-hmm. anger. And I think, you know, people are more drawn to that than they are for, like, positive stories. Like, you always get those fluff pieces in the in the news that last mm-hmm. for five minutes because they just showed you 45 minutes of just bad stuff. They're like, let's end on something positive. Right. Like, Right. This guy saved a puppy from a tree. Right. <laughs> um, Maybe it's just the proliferation now. There's so many ways to get news and be aware, and everything travels at lightning speed. And mm-hmm. back when I was younger, you know, you could read about it in the paper leisurely or watch it on the TV news. And so now it yeah. just seems you're bombarded when maybe it's always been the same, and now we're just more aware and bombarded with everything. The same. I think it just now, social media has made it easy for people to like stay in their own bubble. Like that they Isolation, just want right. to just follow things that confirm yeah. their beliefs. True. Whether right. you know they you know there's other evidence beside the point. Mm-hmm. People just like being in their bubbles and being happy, and anything that's outside the bubble, like they don't really respond to, even if they are able to even see it. Because that's the thing with social media. Like you can just follow the things you want to follow. True. And then you don't really actually know what's going on because you're just seeing one side of the story. Right. But. Right. Yeah, I, I know that's a, that's a, that's sort of like the problem. You know, Facebook is under scrutiny because of all the stuff that they were able to unknowingly, you know, keep at the forefront with the election stuff. I think Twitter too. I think it just there's just a whole bunch of stuff that they can't really do in such short notice. Like mm-hmm. they could shut down like ten thousand accounts, and another like twenty thousand all get created the same day. So it's a problem that they have to figure out. It seems like they're starting to figure it out, but I'm not sure how long it'll take for them to actually get it right, mm-hmm. if they ever do. Okay. So are you reading anything besides those two books? No, just those two books for right now. Probably, okay. I, you know, I always read stuff online, just articles, articles and stuff, but, you know, not a whole lot of, not reading a lot of okay. other books right now. Well, I'm reading one more book. Actually, I'm not finished with it yet, so 
I, it's an older book. I actually don't remember when it came out. It's called The Chaperone, another fiction book. This is strange that I'm not, I don't have any nonfiction in here today, but The Chaperone by Laura Moriarty. It's an historical fiction about silent film star Louise Brooks before her stardom in the 1920s when she went to New York City accompanied by a local woman named Cora who acts as her chaperone because this is 1922 and it's unseemly for a woman to travel by herself. And so they go to New York so that Louise Brooks can attend dance school. And this is, like I said, before she became famous. So I picked this up because a friend of mine mentioned that this is going to be made into a movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know when or what, but I don't like to see a movie if I can read the book yeah. first, just so I can form my own mm-hmm. you know, information. And Louise Brooks was a very famous silent movie star. She was kind of a ahead of her time. She was a new woman. She was very modern. She wasn't into any of the conventions of, you know, propriety and Mm -hmm. all this. So she was really kind of like the wild girl of the 1920s that F. Scott Fitzgerald would write about. Mm -hmm. But the the book is really more about her chaperone. So Mm -hmm. I found that kind of interesting. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's also a story about the chaperone's own history with the, have you ever heard of orphan trains? I've heard of them. Yeah, at the turn of the century. I think my wife's actually reading that book called Orphan Train. I don't remember who that is a book too. Yeah, it's a fiction, but I mean, obviously, it's probably like historical fiction or something. Yeah, I had read about this. Actually, I may have heard about it. You probably don't remember this show, Little House on the Prairie. Do you remember that show? show. Okay, from the seventies. I I don't. I never have seen it, but I know about it. I I believe my memory could be incorrect here, but in later seasons that they talked about the orphan trains. They would go from New York, they're young, mm-hmm. you know. In this particular book, it's girls being mm-hmm. taken on trains. They were in orphanages in New York City mm-hmm. and in, run by nuns at the Catholic Church. And to place them, they would, you know, train them out west. And in this case, the chaperone, her name is Cora, she ends up in Wichita, Kansas. Mm-hmm. And so, when she has this opportunity to accompany Louise Brooks to New York mm-hmm. City, she's a middle-aged woman by now, and she decides this is maybe a good time for her to explore her family history, find out mm-hmm. information about her parents, about the school where she mm-hmm. grew up. And so it's it's really good. i am got maybe about 80 pages left, but mm-hmm. the book's focus is on the chaperone, not so much Louise Brooks, mm-hmm. but I'm enjoying it. Cool. Yeah. I don't know if I'll use this for a future book discussion group. I have some men in my book discussion group, and I don't know that this would be such a book that they would be interested in. I try to pick books that would appeal to both sexes, mm-hmm. and I don't know that this one would, being so female-focused. I don't know. I don't want it to be called a, a woman's fiction story. It's not really that. It's more historical fiction, but... Yeah, it's historical fiction with two female characters. Yeah, it might That's be fine. too much. I haven't... and I. I I only have one more to mention. I haven't even started it, but I selected it for the mystery book group. I've got to read, by the end of May, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. That's kind of a gothic mystery. Did um, Hitchcock turn that into a movie? I don't know if Hitchcock did. I know it was made into a movie. Yeah, it was made into a movie, but I did not see the movie. I don't want to see the movie until I read the book. It's Mm -hmm. a famous book. I've never read it, and I like to incorporate some classics sometimes in my book discussion groups mm-hmm. that people may have heard of but never read and mm-hmm. so but I haven't even read this but I thought it might be a good choice so I hope I'll like it even though I made my mm-hmm. book discussion group read it 
<laughs> yeah. I'm sure you'll like it. Um, it's a classic for a reason. Have you read it? No. Okay. I, I, I just, I've, read, I've heard of the movie, and I know it was a book, but I don't know if they're related. It seemed like they would be, Yeah. but I'm not sure. It's I, supposed to be very suspenseful, and I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I have no preconceived notions about it going into it except the fact that it's a classic so okay that's okay. it that's all the books i've read in two weeks okay that's more books than i've read in two months <laughs> um so let's just take a short break and we'll be back with the other stuff that we've been doing have a special guest for you this episode. Danis is going to talk about the local authors fair that's coming up. Thank you, Matt. Thank mm-hmm. you, Maria. Um, the local authors fair 2019 is a uh, another. Uh, oh my God, I cannot speak today. Um, it happens to all of us. <laughs> <laughs> I went, ordered coffee with lunch and it didn't arrive. Um, it's a Right on Point event. Right on Point is a series of events celebrating and supporting local authors that we've been doing for about seven years now. Mm-hmm. Um, this year's Local Authors Fair is Saturday, May 18th, um, pretty much all afternoon here at our Ewell Print. Is that your birthday? Yes, my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> you knew, right? So I know what Maria's doing. I know, I know what that just means. Um, uh, the, so the, the fair will be from 12 to 3. We're going to have um, over two dozen local authors on hand um, scattered throughout the building to talk about and sell their books. And it's a mix of um, independent publishers, traditional publishers, and self-published authors. And all genres are, are represented. And I, I, it's a very uh, broad-ranging list. Have you had a lot of applicants? We have had probably more than we've had in the past do we do it um every other year right and i think that i have right now 28 applicants and we're taking applications through monday the 6th okay we could still probably get a few more i'm hoping to get all of them here like all I'm going, to, I'm going to try. <laughs> <laughs> um, because some people only have one book, especially um, mm-hmm. some of the, the uh, self-published authors only have one book, mm-hmm. and it can be intimidating to sit in a table all by yourself, and, and, and authors true. are not necessarily the most extroverted right. people, so pair them up with um, similar, similar mm-hmm. authors yeah, and, and kind of group good. them together so that, that they are not feeling stranded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing I'm excited about is that in addition to the classic fair aspect of it, is we're harking back to the original Right on Point conference that we did in 2012, and that was an all-day three-prong conference at the War Memorial, um, sponsored by the Foundation. Oh, okay. And that involved some, uh, so we had tracks on writing instruction, we had tracks on publishing, and then we had a little author's fair. I'm going to have a couple of notable local authors just do brief presentations. Um, So far I've got uh, four people um, doing presentations. And um, How many do you hope to have? Is four good um, or you want more than that? I'm talking to uh, two or three other people and it may turn into some panel discussions or nothing. Okay. I do everything, you know, right down to the wire. Um, <laughs> but they turn out great. <laughs> Thank you. So that seems uh, to work. 
it's, it's, it's yeah, the, the <laughs> strange combination of having ideas planned out in my head and then you know making them manifest at the very last possible <laughs> second. Um, so Kelly Forden, Bill Repay, and Karen Dibus, who are all yeah. um, uh, well known in the Gross Point community, mm-hmm. are going to be doing. Um, at least a couple of sessions during the event, and then the event will be capped off with a keynote from Karen Dion, oh, who yeah. is an alumna of yep. the 2016 Local Authors Fair, and mm-hmm. she also was our local representative of, for authors at Books on the, or no, Authors to the Point last fall at the World. Oh, Memorial. right, yes. And her book, her latest book, The Marsh King's Daughter, is being adapted into a film star in Alicia Vikander. Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. So she is, and in the words of one of our other authors, quite a catch. Okay. She is. And she's just, she's delightful. She's, um, she's a huge supporter of, of other authors herself. So it, it kind That's of good. ties in very nicely to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds exciting. It is exciting. Sounds I know I've sent many people your way, so. Yep. And we're going to, um, I'm going to open up the registration for the talks as soon as I narrow that down. I'm going to put the, all the details as I have them mm-hmm. on the calendar later this afternoon and probably do another little post on the website once I close the applications for the actual displays. Yeah. And this is a free event? It is free. Totally free. Okay. And so basically all day? Um, from 12 to, 3 12 to 3 is the main part of it, and Karen Dion will be speaking from um, 3.30 to 4, 4.30. Okay. But people can talk to the authors, meet the authors, mm-hmm. buy the books. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make it um, a little more kinetic this year, yeah. so that you know, the sure. authors don't, have to, don't feel restricted and people can move around. And you know, the, That's the, good. The talks throughout the day will be you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. And, and, and inspiring. Right here in the building. Right. Sounds great. I, mm-hmm. I'm pointing to, to people that can see me through. <laughs> That's fine. Um, the, the viewers could hear the, the point. If the viewers could yes. hear pointing. I guess the, the <laughs> listeners, right? Not wildly. the viewers. So that was pretty much it. Okay. Sounds wonderful. Yeah, Thank sounds you so good. much. Yep, thanks for coming on and talking about that. You're welcome. Thank you. That short break. So you said that you went to the movies this these, in this past two weeks. Yes, I actually went to the Redford Theater in Redford. I've been going there since okay, I'll say the truth since 1986 when I was 17. I saw Singing in the Rain there. That was the Wanna very first movie. I was born in 1986. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot well, of eye rolling that's going on in here, <laughs> just so everyone knows. I saw Singing in the Rain. Actually, let, let me backtrack. It was on the local news back then. They were talking about this great old movie palace that was built in 1928 and being restored by volunteers. And at the time, I was in high school, senior in high school, and I saw this, and I have always loved old movies. Always loved them. We're watching them on the cable channel called American Movie Classics. There, I'm going to really date they myself. Still have, they still have that. Do they? Yeah. Okay. Still have it. AMC? So that's the AMC. Mm-hmm. That's where I got into all my movies. Actually, even before that, when I was a little girl, I would watch Bill Kennedy at the movies when I was a little girl with my grandparents. And I think Bill Kennedy lived in Gross Point, someone told me. Anyway, he would show all the old movies. And here's another 
old movie TV show you never heard of, Sir Graves Ghastly. <laughs> The old horror movies from <laughs> yeah, no, this, this is this is Dracula, this, Frankenstein, none of the these Mummy. Actually happened. Yes, the way. they did. <laughs> well, anyway, I had always been into old movies, and so when I saw the the Redford Theater was a living, breathing movie palace where people could go and watch these old movies, I begged my parents to take me, even though we lived in Rochester Hills, so it was quite a drive. And they took me. So we all went to see Singing in the Rain, and it was fabulous on the big screen. Now, back then, the theater was being restored. I mean, it had fallen into disrepair. It was Mm -hmm. built in 1928 with a Japanese theme. But when World War II came around, things Japanese were not so good. So they Mm -hmm. painted over everything. They took down everything that had any Japanese motif, covered it all. And then through the years, even though it remained a movie palace, it fell into dis, you know disrepair and but it still had the original pipe organ which mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm not sure if the Fox Theater has one. Do I don't they know. Have a, they have an organ. I think they do. I think they mentioned it's like the biggest pipe organ that's not in, in like use. A, right. That's, that's <laughs> um, not like as part of like a like orchestra or like right. a you know theater. Well, anyway, this is a pipe organ that is maintained by a volunteer group called the Michigan. Oh, God, I'm going to get the name wrong. The Motor City Theater Organ Society. And they promote the pipe organ. They, it's, a, it's a society that teaches people how to play it because it's kind of a lost instrument and a lost art. Mm-hmm. And you can go watch movies at the Redford for... Um, most movies are only $5 to go, and they have an intermission. But mm-hmm. they have a pipe organ recital, and then they show the movie, you know, and then they have an intermission, and then they show the rest of the movie. So... They were showing Singing in the Rain on April 20th, and I really wanted to see it. And so the person I was supposed to go with canceled, so I went by myself, and I'd never gone to the Redford by myself. But mm-hmm. again, like I said, I've been going for 33 years, so I went and saw Singing in the Rain again, and it was mm-hmm. even better than I remembered. So it was okay. a lot of fun. I like going to movies by myself. It's fun. I do it more often. It's great. I do it more often, and... I mean, it is fun to share it with people. I do have friends that do like to go to the Redford Theater, but um, I did have plans to go with someone, like I said, but they canceled. So I said, why shouldn't I go if I want to see it anyway? Mm-hmm. So I did. But the next movie I'm going to see there is the, the Three Stooges Festival, and that's this mm-hmm. weekend at the Redford. I'm not going to say too much about that because I don't want too many people to go because uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's already going to have a big crowd. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. Do you have to buy tickets in advance for that? No, I, you can go okay. anytime and just buy it. But again, it's five bucks. You know, you can't beat that. So that's the only movie I watched. As the weather's getting warm, I go outside. I don't like to be sitting inside mm-hmm. watching a movie. You know, I'll sit and read, but I can take a book outside. So, mm-hmm. But yeah. I know you've been watching more than I have. Yeah, I've been watching more TV as per usual. Um, I finished Santa Clarita Diet mm-hmm. last week or the week before. And then found out that the show was canceled. Was that disappointing to you? Kind of, because they let, they ended it on a cliffhanger. Oh, no. So it's like, That's well, bad. why did you not tell them that you were not going to renew them? If you maybe knew that this was the final season, maybe like tell the people that make the show so you don't do something like that. Or do an episode of Closure. Yeah. Well, they did that. Apparently they did that for a show called Sense8. Like the fans got so outraged that it ended <laughs> that they ended up making like a two-hour like movie to like end it okay but it would be nice if that show would get some sort of ending 
but I, I think it's unlikely that it will happen. Really? Why? You don't think fans will clamor for it? Enough, I don't know if there's enough support for it or, like, Netflix is interested in, like, keeping... Like, I think usually once Netflix makes their decision, they're like, they got other things to do. It's like, it's not just a... It's a worldwide brand, so they have to appeal to, like, everybody, not oh, just, like... so, like, people in Finland or Yeah, whoever Japan has it, like, or... I don't, like, India has it, like, okay. Sweden, Germany, Brazil, like, they have all these shows that have to appeal to everybody, and, you know, oh, so I didn't realize diet that. maybe just doesn't appeal to all the people that are important, or they just have to shore up their content for the other markets that they're in. Okay. So it's not a very good position for Netflix to be in, but it's just unfortunate that a good show, at least I thought it was a good show got canceled how many how many seasons three three there was okay. three seasons and this last season was the best one like it, it got progressively better as it went on i think that's sure. how most shows work like once it finds its footing like you can and the characters get more screen time with each other that stuff all works out great and yeah. now that it's canceled it's like we're not going to see that we're not going to see timothy oliphant which is like the worst thing he should be <laughs> in everything so hopefully he finds work doing something because i'd watch him do anything Watch him paint a house. Yeah. Was, um, <laughs> you're a real fan, we can tell. Yes. If you're not a Timothy Oliphant fan, then I'm not sure. Well, I'm one of those people you're not sure because I, I have to. I have to even. I don't think I've even seen his picture, and I haven't looked it up since okay. you mentioned it last time. So that's fine. You'll have to show me because okay. I don't know. I'm not aware. Um, and then the other show I was watching um, was a show called Sex Education on Netflix. It's like a show about like high schoolers. And it, I think it, you know, I think a lot of these people that are making shows about teenagers are a little bit, I don't know if it's because it's on Netflix, they're able to be a little bit more daring or honest about what teenagers go through, but it's like another really good show about life as a teenager. Do you think it's accurate? Because I, when I, well, when I, I was growing up, we had Beverly Hills 90210, and we just yeah. thought, that is just so, at least in my sheltered world, that's like, that was I, really racy. I mean, I think it's tough because it's been a while since I've been in high school, but just, like, the interactions between the characters, like, you know, like, these two friends are sort of, like, outsiders. They sort of talk like outsiders. Like, they're treated like outsiders from the other kids, but they're, like, not, like, in a mean way. Like, I think that's sort of how a lot of kids are nowadays. Like, like no one's, like, super mean or, like, bullying, really. Really? I feel like it's more true. I think, you know, kids are just more, like, honest with, like, I don't want to talk to you. Just like, yo, you know, go away hmm. type stuff. But it doesn't seem like anything's like super malicious and everything. Maybe I'm I wrong. I have no idea. But it I've just been, seems, I'm too far removed. I think it just seems accurate because like it's like that weird time period when you're just sort of awkward trying to figure everything out. Mm-hmm. I think the show does a good job of navigating all that stuff that goes on between, you know, what, you know, what they're learning about themselves and learning about their friends also navigating like the rigors of school and like what the school demands of them and maybe what society demands of them so i think it's a really interesting show so does it have because of the title does it have a sexual uh, nature to it a little it's like sort of like the premise of the show is like this the main character's mom is like a sex therapist and then like him and another other character form like a side hustle at the school where he gets money to help people that are having problems Oh, kind of like getting customers for yeah. his mother? No, from like you're not referring to him as mother. Like, since his mom, like the, like the relationship with him and his mom is very, I wouldn't say it's like it's just really awkward because they're super open. Like his oh, mom. Oh, sure, yeah. So she like, doesn't he, want him to be so, repressed. <laughs> so he knows a whole lot about all that stuff. So sort of like him and another character form this you know hustle where some high schoolers pay him to like 
talk out about the problems that they're having. Um, oh, and so kind of like pseudotherapy. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, because I think it's just sort of like they don't. And they trust him. I suppose. Well, they trust okay. the other. Maybe they trust the other girl because the other girl that he forms a partnership with is like more popular <laughs> and stuff. Okay. Um, so I think it's sort of like that. Okay. But it's just sort of like you know interesting to see that happen. I think it's really it's just a really good show. I wonder if they've. If Netflix has like screened shows that are about, are they are, now? This is kind of an aside, but it has to do with it. But are the people, are the actors in the show teenagers themselves? Are they in their twenties acting as teenagers? Their, I think they're in their like early twenties acting I'm wondering, as teenagers. I'm wondering if they did like a screening for actual teens in high school and say, would you say this is realistic, or is are these are these they, people really too mature? I think it's tough. I think like it's probably they probably do have focus groups. But I'm sure they can only spend so much time doing that because of all, like, they can't focus everything. Mm-hmm. But it does pl- take place in the UK, so it's probably, like, a little different. Between, oh, like, right. Because, yeah. Like, Education their, their high schools different. are, like, palaces and whatever since they're so old. They're just old, old and, like, beautiful they look, buildings. And, like, more like college campuses yes. and, like, high schools and stuff. And right. there's, like, you know, prestige involved and stuff. But it's pretty I think it was pretty good. It's worth watching. Well, I liked spe- it. Speaking of high school, they're going to be showing a movie from my generation on May 17th at the Redford, um, The Breakfast Club. And that's about kids yeah. in detention yeah. <laughs> on a Saturday. And I thought, and I that came out when I was in high school, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it came out in 19... It came out in 1985. Yeah, okay. I was a junior. Mm-hmm. I was like but, the John Hughes era. Yeah, and Molly Ringwald is in it. And mm-hmm. so that, that should be good. And I thought that was accurate, even though those actors were... I don't even know what their, their ages were, but... Yeah, I think Molly Ringwald was the youngest. I think she actually might have been a teenager in that movie. Yeah, she's my and age. Ali Sheedy might yeah. have been a teenager, but some of the other characters, I think, were yeah. slightly older. I think Judd mm-hmm. Nelson was probably 40 when that movie came out. So did you see that I movie? Know. I saw that movie. Okay. Even though, I, it, was, even though it was before it. you were born? It was born. before my time, but, <laughs> I mean, I know things that happened before my time. So, That's true. You know, That's good, true. You know, um, it was a good movie. Okay. I, I think it's fallen out of favor now, I think, with everyone... I haven't about, seen like, it. Scrutinizing it, I think it's sort of fallen out of favor because it's not as, not like progressive or whatever. I don't really know. But I know it's sort of fallen out of favor, but it's a fun movie. You think it's, it's fallen out of favor? I really? think so. Huh? I don't know where you got that, but okay. I'm gonna. So, I'm. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing it just because I, I haven't be seen it since then. But I think you know, just from a different era. I think where things were a little. Oh Lord! More different era. That's what I am. A different now, era. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Okay, Probably. next TV show. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the next show I watched was the second season of Atlanta. Uh, it's Donald Glover's uh, TV show. And the second season was like called like Robin Season, which apparently is a thing in Atlanta that happens around the holidays where people are saving money and they buy stuff and like robberies tend to increase right around the holiday season. Oh. So sort of like... That was sort of like the backdrop of this whole second season, as also he's trying to navigate his own personal life and his cousin's uh, music career. So what's Atlanta about? Is it just life in the city? It's what, what tough is it? to say because it's, so, it's like a weird show. It's like very like everyday life, just struggling to survive. All and races, very diverse, it's, all ages. It's um, mostly, you know, uh, black characters. Like, okay. you know, it's like everybody... Mostly, I don't actually think there are any, there's not many, um, you know, white characters on the show. I think there's some, but there's not that many. It's mostly, like, from told from the black perspective. 
which okay. is you know which is cool because like you don't really get to see that all too often on no, TV not shows. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's sort of just like the struggles of everyday life, trying to figure out your place in the world, trying to navigate your cousin's music career when you don't really know anything about the industry, but you're doing it because of it's a family type thing. Mm-hmm. And then they have some weird episodes too, like. There's this episode called like Teddy Perkins, and it just all took place in a house. Some one of the other friends of his was just trying to get a piano, and it just like the most absurd episode ever. But it was just—is <laughs> it a comedy? It's a, it's like a, yeah, it's a comedy. It's like a dark, absurdist a comedy. Okay. But hmm. like it's just like real, like it's like kind of borders like basically like a dramedy, like it's funny, not like laugh out loud funny. It's like funny like dark humor. Dark, dark humor. Oh, okay. Um, but it's just really well made. Donald Glover's like a, like a renaissance man, as far as I'm concerned. What he's able to do, like he acts, he does music, he's hmm. a stand-up comedian. He basically does everything. He does it all pretty well. Okay. Um, but it's just a really good show. Um, sort of depressing at times, but I think that's sort of like the stage of the characters where they're at right now. It just feels depressing because it seems like they lose every battle that hmm. they're trying to do. And it's also another interesting aspect of the show is like. The guy, um, his character's, his uh, stage name is Paperboy, and like him trying, like figuring out, telling, having to navigate fame mm-hmm. as he's getting more famous, and like trying to like still have like a modern life where people kind of like leave him alone, or what does it mean to be famous, and everything like what does he owe the community, what does he owe himself, okay. trying to figure all this stuff out, and it just, just really good, like it's like a lot of high concept stuff and very straight, you know, stuff. It's not really like a sitcom like the traditional sitcom where it's like got set pieces and a laugh track it just shot for like a drama it just okay. happens to be a comedy but it's really good i'm excited for when that show comes back if you, if it comes back oh it's already coming back okay that's yeah good. it's already coming back <laughs> but i think they're giving him more time i think everybody that's on that show has gotten way more famous than when the show started so everybody okay. on that show is just doing a bunch of other stuff so this the break between seasons seems to get longer and longer which is fine because I think I want, I'd rather than be dedicated to that than sort of like working on that while working on something else. Sure. Trying to juggle all that stuff. But okay. I think Donald Glover basically has a blank check to kind of do what he wants, which is nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yep. Any others? That's about it. Uh, I haven't really. Been no doing, movies? No movies. No movies. I'm playing okay. some video games here and there, but I don't really have. I feel like I never have enough time to do anything. And I get paralyzed by choice. I'm like, should I watch this? Should I do this? <laughs> and then I just like, well, I'm just gonna not do anything. I'm just gonna. It's okay to lay, not do anything. Just lay down and. I think it's good. Listen to music and fall asleep, and yeah. that's basically my routine now. And speaking of music, how about music? Have you been listening to any um, new artists or old have. classics that you like? Or? I've been listening, you know, here and there. I never remember most of the stuff I listen to because I listen to so much. Like it's usually mostly like indie rock, electronic. You know, some okay. hip hop, and just sort of whatever I'm in the mood for. And then if like a new album comes out, I'll try to listen to it. Um, usually on Fridays, I think Billy Eich, I think that's how you pronounce her name, came out with an album hmm. a couple weeks ago. And, you know, she's pretty good. Never um, heard of her. But yeah, pretty much listen to almost everything. I don't really have, you know, I don't care so much about Taylor Swift. If Taylor Swift comes on, I'll listen to Taylor Swift, but I won't go see a Taylor Swift concert. Sure. But, you know, yeah. I'm not, like, as picky as about my music as I used to be at, when I was in college and stuff. Um, I've been listening to 
music from my youth, from when I was in my 20s lately. So I've been listening to the Cranberries. Um, mm-hmm. Do you remember the Cranberries? I know the Cranberries. Yeah. Well, Dolores Riordan died, mm-hmm. I think, last year. Yeah. And she was only 46. And there was a concert announced at one time at the Magic Back Theater in Ferndale, and then it was canceled. And mm-hmm. I thought it was going to get rescheduled, and then she died. But mm-hmm. anyway, I've been listening to the Cranberries. I've been listening to songs by Nirvana. That was mm-hmm. a big group when I was in my early pretty, 20s. Still a pretty big group. And do you, do you remember a group called The Sundays? No, there Sundays was kind of like, like, like alternative. One hit, they one no, they, they had um, they had a, like three songs that hmm. were that I remember really listening to. But Toreem, this is another that I listen to a lot mm-hmm. of. Um, so I've been listening did, to those. Did you do was Alanis Morissette your jam back in the day? Or not I'm sorry, really? Alanis Morissette. There were like one or two. I never really cared for her too much, but um, a lot of these groups I'd listened to in the early 90s like when the movie, the show Friends was on you know that, I, that I know. era that, that show, that Friends, show you yeah, know that, and that real, was on for 10 years that small show I didn't watch it I didn't watch it small what do you mean small <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, I watched a little bit of Friends okay. yeah I know about Friends it's slow moving yeah I know right but it's another era so but the I've also been listening to Janis Joplin she's an oldie but a goodie. And we're going to be showing um, Woodstock Three Days of Peace and Love in July at the library. And she did perform at Woodstock, so I've been listening to her. And my pick of the week is going to be One Good Man by Janis Joplin. Okay. So, and that's all. Sounds good. Sounds good. So, we'll be back in a couple of weeks for the next episode. And thanks for checking in with us. Bye bye. Hey!